Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing this morning? So uh, you're either really happy this morning or you're really sad because last week was the last football game of the year. So some of you, like my wife, is like, this is the best Sunday of the year because there's no football. And then I told her, oh, babe, there's actually this new thing called the XFL. She's like, are you kidding me? There's another league? I'm like, it probably only lasts about three weeks, though. So, uh, But uh, if you uh, love football, then this is one of those days like, all right, the, the year's over and we'll move on to next year. And if you don't like it, you're like, yeah, this is great. and Let's move on. But one of the things that's coming up, if you, whether you're a sports fan or not, One of the things that uh, most people like to watch, even if they're not a huge fan of sports, is something that happens once every four years, and we know it as the Summer Olympic Games. And uh, the Summer Olympic Games is actually going to take place this summer, and it'll it'll take place in Tokyo, Japan. And uh, it's one of those times that... So even if you're not, like I said, even if you're not a sports fan, it's, it's fun to watch these, some of them hometown heroes, that, that we hear their stories and, and the media does a good job kind of telling their stories, and then we get to watch them compete against people literally from all over the world, and, and so it kind of, if, you, if you're patriotic, you kind of, you're patriotic because you want your team to win, and, and you like the, the hometown kind of heroes, and you get into the stories, and so it's a great few weeks of of just watching this take place that we get a chance to watch about once every four years. A few years back, and you may remember this, in 2004, the Olympic Games, the Summer Games, was held in a really special place. Uh, And every city that they hold the games in is special, and they, they put a lot into it, but it was held in Greece, in Athens, which was the original place that the game started. And so in 2004, uh, it was even, maybe even more special because it was back being played in the original place. And if you remember back, and I know some of you were, were kids or not even alive uh, in 2004, but it, back in 2004, there was a, an athlete and one of the guys that, that uh, had a really good shot at winning the gold, he was a guy by the name of Matt Emmons. And Matt was a guy that he competed in a lot of different rifle categories, and he was really good. He still competes today really good at at what he did and and had a great chance at winning the gold. And so in 2004, he was uh, competing in the three-position 50-meter rifle competition, and he was at a spot where he had done so well in the competition, he had one shot left, and he basically had the gold taken care of. I mean, literally, if he would just hit the target on any, any place on the target, he was going to win the gold. He kind of had it locked up. But something very interesting happened, and we're actually, I have a short video here, and you'll get a chance to see what happened to Matt as he was ready to win the gold if he would just hit the target. 
Matt, he basically what happened was when he was shooting, all he had to do was hit the target. And after he got done shooting, you saw him. He was like, I, I shot. Here's the shell. I got it. I mean, <laughs> I don't miss targets. I'm really good at this. And what had happened was he hit the target. He just hit the target next to the target he was supposed to hit. He hit the target of the guy that was shooting next to him. And so because of that, he totally missed out on the gold. And, and as you, you, you hear that and you see it, and it's like, man, heartbreaking because literally all the guy had to do was hit the target. He could have done that with his eyes closed and one hand tied behind his back, but he was shooting at the wrong target. And because of that, he missed. And the lesson that we learned from Matt as we watched his frustration is we better be sure we're aiming at the right target. Because when we're not aiming at the right target, we can hit the other target and it's not going to matter at the end of the game because we weren't ever aiming at the right thing. And as we dive into this series, one of the things we're going to talk about is, man, we want to make sure that as you are someone, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're investigating faith, and we talk about what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus, we want to make sure that we're aiming at the right target. And a couple questions that I want to throw out to you that I want you to, to answer in your heart, and I want you to answer honestly in your heart, that will help us really begin to pinpoint if we're even aiming at the right target. And here's the first question. Do you desire to faithfully follow Jesus? You, you don't have to lie inside. Jesus knows the answer that you're like the real answer. But, but you just think about that. Like is there something inside of you that really desires to follow Jesus faithfully? You, you might have people that are sitting next to you that think the answer is yes for you. And it, the answer might be no. Or you might have people that are sitting next to you that think, you know what, the answer is probably no. And deep down inside of you, the answer is yes, I would like to be someone that faithfully follows Jesus. The second question, and, and this is an important question as we try to aim at the right target, and it's simply this. What does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? Like, like, what is it, if this is what I want to be, and I, this is what I kind of what I want my life to look like, what does a faithful follower of Jesus even look like? Probably immediately, when you, if you answer that question honestly, you have some thoughts and some opinions and a picture that comes to your mind. If I was to tell you right now, hey, take out a piece of paper and quickly write down what a faithful follower of Jesus looks like, just write a sentence or two. Probably you would write down something that would fit into one of two categories. The first category that it would probably fit into is what a person does. Like you would automatically, when you think, of, hey, this is what a faithful follower of Jesus looks like, they, they do certain things, they follow a certain system, they, they, and you might list things like, oh, I think they read their Bible, I think that's what they do, they, they go to church, they might give money in the offering, they, maybe they go on a missions trip, and you would immediately probably list out what a person does and kind of what it looks like on the outside. But then maybe the second category that you would, if you were thinking and you had to write down, hey, what does a Jesus follower look like? The second thing you might think is, it's not necessarily what a person does, but what a person knows. And maybe to you, when you think of somebody that's a faithful follower of Jesus, you think of, oh man, it's a person that knows a lot about the Bible. 
And they go to a lot of Bible studies, and they have the answer to all the questions, like the big questions they have the answers to. And, and they, man, they've got, you go to look at their shelf at home, and man, they've got big theology books, and man, they know a lot. They have that when the questions answered or asked, they have the answer. And for you, maybe you say, hey, a faithful follower of Jesus, they, they do these things or they know these things. And, and unfortunately, when you look at the life of Jesus, those two definitions fall way short of what Jesus really looked like when he was here on earth. Because, yeah, Jesus, he, he obviously knew a lot, and his followers grew in their knowledge of him, and, and they did certain things. But if that's what a faithful follower of Jesus is, then it doesn't match up with the Jesus of the Bible and how he lived when he was here on earth. See, if, if we're good at anything as a church, and I mean the big C church, we are really good at taking simple things and making them very complicated. Aren't we? Like, like we can take something that Jesus made really simple and add a couple systems, add a few check marks, and add a couple classes, and we can take something that was very simple and make it really complicated. When we started City Walk Church, we started it, and one of the groups of people that we had in mind were people that had walked away from the church, and they hadn't walked away from Jesus, they had just walked away from the church because the church had stopped simply following Jesus, and it made it more complicated. Our mission at City Walk is we want to walk with people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and when you read through the Gospels, and if you're, you're new to church, or maybe you haven't grown up in church, the Gospels are the first few books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's, it's those books of the Bible that we get most of what we know about Jesus' life on earth. That's what we get most of it from. And if you were to read through those, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're investigating faith, if you were just to read through those and, and take an honest look at what happened in those you would see that Jesus wasn't super concerned with people keeping up a list. And he wasn't super concerned about making sure that his guys were the smartest guys and had the most knowledge. But here's what he was concerned about. And here's where you, no matter what you believe about Jesus, like you can't get away from this and this is just, it just is what it is. The life of Jesus revolved around relationships. Like any story that you look at in the Gospels will be connected to one of three relationships. Every single one. You can draw a line. If you talk about any story that you grew up hearing, anything you read in the Gospels, you can automatically take that story and, and connect it to one of three relationships that were really important to Jesus. The, the first relationship that was important to Jesus is Jesus and his relationship with God the Father. Like if you read through the Gospels, a lot, of, a lot of what you see in the Gospels is you see that Jesus and his relationship with his heavenly Father was very important to him. John chapter 14 verse 10 says this, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. 
Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. For Jesus, his relationship with his heavenly Father and intimacy with his heavenly Father was huge. Like it was something he put a lot of focus on. But there was another relationship that he put a lot of focus on too. And it was Jesus and his relationship with his disciples or other followers. You you read through the Gospels and you see Jesus choosing his followers. And and when he chose his followers, he did not like pick the guys that you probably would have picked. Like he chose some some guys that were uh, on the JV team to to put it nicely, but he wanted them to be his guys. And and then you see, if you you read through the Gospels, you see how Jesus feeds the 5,000 and and there's his, his guys with him, his disciples. And then you read other stories where Jesus calms the storm when they're out in a boat, and it's Jesus and his disciples. And so Jesus was focused on his relationship with his father, but he was also focused on his relationship with his disciples or other followers. But then the third relationship that was very important to Jesus and that you see a lot of connection with in the stories that you read in the Gospels is Jesus and his relationship with the world. Those who weren't followers, those who didn't know God. And you see, you see, man, Jesus was, man, he hung out with some different people. Like there's John 3, and he's hanging out with the religious leader, Nicodemus, that, man, he, he was the smartest guy in the room, but he was not a follower of Jesus. And you see Jesus hanging out with him. And, and then you look in Mark 5, and you see Jesus hanging out with this demon-possessed guy that everybody else is afraid of. And then you see Jesus uh, in John chapter 4, he's hanging out with a Samaritan woman who you just don't hang out with. And so you see, as you read through the Gospels, that Jesus was focused on relationships. He was focused on his relationship with his father. He was focused on his relationship with the disciples or other followers. And he was focused on his relationship with the world. And so here's the dumb question that is not a, not a trick question. If Jesus and his life revolved around relationships and his spirit indwells those who are his followers, what should his followers focus on? Like, pretty simple question. Like if Jesus was all about three relationships and people that say they're his followers have his spirit living inside them, what do you think they should be focused on? What should their life look like? See, I wrote this in my notes. When you realize the goal is not you living for Jesus, but instead allowing him to live his life in and through you, it changes everything. See, some, some of you walked away from the church because you got tired of trying to live for Jesus. And you're like, man, this is just too much work. And I can never keep the list right. And there's always, I mean, just, it just doesn't work. But, but Jesus, he said, you know what? I, I never wanted you to try to live for me. Here, here's what I wanted, and this is why relationships are so important. It was never about you living for me. It was about me living through you. And that's what it was all about. And so the, the life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. It's all about relationships. And so for the next several weeks, really leading us into Easter, 
We're going to explore what the Bible has to say about this reality and really what these three relationships are and how they really help us define the target. And so we're going to unpack this over the next few weeks. And again, whether you're somebody who's a follower of Jesus or maybe you're kind of investigating faith, I would encourage you to lean in because there's been some, some, maybe some time that you've grown up in church where the whole idea of following Jesus was defined in a way that Jesus wouldn't even have defined it himself. And so I'd encourage you to lean in. And I wanna, what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about three defining statements that are really going to help us move forward. And the first one is this, and we've already kind of touched on it. Following Jesus is about a relationship with God. If you miss this one, you miss it all. Following Jesus is about a relationship with God. John chapter 17, 3, it says, it says this. And this is eternal life, that they know, which implies a personal relationship, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, following Jesus is not a religion. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And we miss the target really badly when we make it about religion. When, when people meet me and they find, I, I, I try to hide that I'm a pastor as long as I can in a conversation because people like get weird when they find out, oh, you're a pastor. Oh, oh shouldn't say that. No, you're good, man. You say whatever you want. You're not going to bother me. But I, so I don't tell people like that I'm a pastor unless they like make me and I, I'm not going to lie to them. But, but when they find out I'm a pastor, one of the next questions is, hey, what religion? What religion are you? And it's like, you know what, I'm going to really disappoint you with my answer to this, and you're going to think I'm copping out because I really, it's not like religion to me. I'm not really part of a, I guess you could call me like a Christian, but I'm not really part of a religion. I just think Jesus is a really big deal. I think what he said is a really big deal. I think the fact that he, he said he was going to die and rise again, and then he pulled it off is a really big deal, and so I'm following him. That's what, I, that's what I'm about. But, but people want to, they, they want you to kind of, a, a religion or a system because that makes us feel better about ourselves if we have a system to keep. And, and Jesus, when he was here on earth, it was for him, number one, about a relationship with God. And, and so it's, it's so important that we understand that because of this. Think about it. If you're the enemy, if you're the enemy, this is, what, what would your strategy be? See, if I can get them focused on a system rather than take their, not look at the Savior, then I'm winning. And so the, 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 the enemy, he, he tries to counterfeit Jesus with religion. Because he knows if he can get you looking at a system that you'll take your eyes off the Savior and that's good for him. He's won. And so here's how I want to illustrate it. I want to illustrate this by just looking at something we all understand, marriage. So if I was to ask you, hey, what is marriage? Is marriage buying a house? Is marriage opening up a joint bank account? Is marriage having children, eating meals together, planning retirement? No. When the scriptures talk about marriage, it talks about a man and a woman who are in love and they enter a covenant with God. And, and, and because of that relationship... 
all these other things happen. But without the marriage relationship, without the love relationship, it just gets really weird if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, can we plan our retirement together? Do you want to have a couple kids together? No, security, please come get this person. Because that would just be weird if somebody comes up to my, one of my daughters and is like, hey, you want to buy a house together? And then let's have some kids? And then let's plan retirement and vacations? It's like, what's your name, by the way? And that's, it gets ugly quick for that person because it's just weird and sick if they're not in a relationship. But because you're in a marriage relationship, a love relationship, the other things, they make perfect sense. Yeah, of course you would buy a house. Of course you would eat together. Yeah, you'd plan your retirement together. Inside the relationship, it all makes sense. It's natural. So let's ask this question. What is, a, what is being a Jesus follower, or in our society, a, they call it a Christian? What is that? Is it reading the Bible? Is it praying? Is it going to church? Is it giving? Is it being good? No. Christianity is a love relationship between you and God. All those other things are simply activities that are carried out in the context of a relationship. And they only make sense in the context of a relationship. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't have a love relationship with God, why would you give money to church? Why would you go on a missions trip? Why? I mean, it's just a lot of work. Like, why would you do that in the context of a relationship? It's the natural thing you do from a place of gratitude. When I get up in the morning and read my Bible, it's not like, oh, Dang it, is it morning already? All right, get the Bible. Let me kind of check the box. I don't even think about it. Because, man, I love God. I just want to know more about God. I, want to, I know Jesus and, and him being inside of me. I know that's a good thing, and I, I just want to know more about him. It's not a chore because it's part of a relationship. See, what we do flows out of what we are. What I do as a follower of Jesus flows from a relationship. I don't do it for a relationship. And really the key word as you think about the relationship with God that we're going to talk about over this series is this idea of abide. What it means to abide in Christ on a daily basis, on a regular basis, on a personal basis. Because the scripture says this in John chapter 15. It says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So I, in my backyard, if you were to come to my backyard, and if you're a bridge builder, you might be at my backyard tomorrow night. Uh, and when you're in my backyard tomorrow night, you'll see that there's a cherry tree, there's an orange tree, and then if you look back at the fence, there's actually, uh, our neighbors have some grapes and the vines kind of come over our fence. Well, if you were to go into my backyard, and I'm an idiot with this kind of stuff, but even I know this, and if I was to go cut, hey, I like, man, I love that cherry tree. I love what it looks like. I love the fruit that comes from it. And so, you know what? I just want a branch in my room. So I'm going to cut a branch off, and I'm just going to take it to my room. And uh, so when the season comes, I I want cherries growing in my room. I'd be pretty disappointed. Because the reason the cherries are going to grow or the oranges are going to grow is not because it's a branch. 
It's because it's connected to the trunk. It's connected to the main part. And the scripture says that's what our relationship with God's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, hey, there's fruit and there's things that happen, but they happen as we abide, as we're connected. And that's why Jesus, he, he gave us an example. Like if anybody could go without like talking to God, it would be God. But he decided it was really important that he have a relationship with God. And so a Jesus follower makes a big deal of his relationship or her relationship with God. But the second relationship that's really another defining statement for the series is this. Following Jesus is about a relationship with one another. And again, this isn't something like the church made up. This is something Jesus modeled. So if you look all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, the Lord, uh, God says this in, in verse 7. He says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. So imagine I have a flannel graph board up here if you grew up in Sunday school, and I'm going to show you day one and what, you know, all this stuff. But, but here's what's interesting. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, God says this, it is not good that man should be alone. That's interesting. Because if you look through the creation narrative, day one, it says God made light. And what did he say? It is good. Day two, God made the sky and said it is good. Day three, the land, the water, the trees, it is good. And you just keep going down. Day four, day five, day six. And at the end of the day, it is good. But after God made man, he said, it's not good. What's not good? It's not good that man should be alone by himself. I wrote this in my notes. God's intent in his creating humanity was never to have a relationship with man in isolation. His intent was for our personal relationship with him to be enjoyed in the context of an interpersonal relationship with others. Some people say it this way, hey, my relationship with God is personal. And that's true, but it was never meant to be private. See, when you entered a relationship with God, you entered a relationship with God, but you also entered a relationship with a much bigger group of people, the family of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are missing God's best if your relationship with God is just you and God, if you are not living out your relationship with God in the context of a relationship with the family of God, then you are missing God's best. And that's not me. That's what God said. It's not good that you should be alone. We are created for community. And so going to church should never be done because I have to do this. Going to a small group or, or a community, a city group should never be, hey, I have to do this. No, this is the platform for me to live out my relationship with God in the context of a relationship with other people, which is what God wanted. And so a relationship with others is so important. In fact, if you look back at the beginning of the church, in Acts chapter 2, at the very beginning of the church, at the very beginning, you see this model. In Acts chapter 2, after Jesus has died, he's risen from the dead, and he's ascended back into heaven, and now the church is just beginning. This is what the scripture says in Acts chapter 2. It says, in verse 41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, 
And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So I'm talking the church was growing. Stuff was happening. People were being added. People were becoming followers of Jesus by the thousands. But look what happened in verse 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, those who had embraced a relationship with Christ understood that they had entered a relationship with a bigger group, the family of God, the church. And so you see it modeled. Like they, they would spend time together in large groups. They would go to the temple, but then they would spend time together in more intimate, smaller groups in houses. And that was just part of what they did. And they understood that as, as being a follower of Jesus, that being connected to other people was important. Because Jesus modeled that. He modeled connecting with other people that were followers. And so the word that, that we really want to think about, we, we talk about abide as we think about our relationship with God, but the word connect. As a follower of Jesus, we, we connect sometimes in larger groups and sometimes in smaller groups, but we connect because we flourish inside of community. We don't do well alone. One of my friends, one of my good friends that was uh, one of the pastors at the church that I, I went to in Florida and was a part of, his name was Jay, and he said, he would always say this, he'd say, I'm, I'm dangerous when I'm by myself. And if you would have met Jay, he's like the nicest guy, godly guy, like great guy, but he, he just was straightforward. It's like, when I'm all by myself, I'm dangerous. I'm dangerous when I'm alone all the time because we were not meant to live by ourselves and isolated. We were meant to live in community. And so as a follower of Jesus, if I'm going to faithfully follow Jesus, there's got to be a connection in our, my relationship with God, but there also has to be a, a relationship with other believers, and that needs to be a big part of my life. But then the third statement is this. Following Jesus is about a relationship with the world. In John chapter 17, it says this. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. See, Jesus came into the world to reveal God. He came into the world to reveal God so that he could heal a relationship that had been broken between God and man. And, and so he came into the world to do that. And then what he did, and he didn't have to do this. Like definitely could have done it a totally different way. But when he left and he went back to heaven, he put the baton in our hands. Like, why would you trust us with your mission? I don't understand, but that's what he chose to do. And, and he handed off the baton, the mission, as his representation here on earth to us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, as he's writing, he talks about what it looks like to be an ambassador or a representative, look at verse, it'll be up on the screen, verses 18 through 20. It says this, and this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And then verse 20, therefore, we, 
might be ambassadors. No. One day, a few of us, the ones that get paid to do it. No, no, no. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This means that now God's plan is that through you and through me, the world would see and experience Christ. And Jesus, when he was here on earth, he modeled what mission really looked like. Jesus didn't come here to, to do a mission. He, he came here and he was the mission. Like his life was the mission. He, he, it wasn't something he did. It was just who he was. Like he was here on mission. And it was what his whole life, it was what was wrapped up in his whole life. It's why he did what he did. It's why he put time into the relationships he put into. He was about the mission. It wasn't just, hey, on special Sundays when it's invite your friend to church day, I'll be on mission. No, it's like this is what his life was every day. And as you think about what it looks like in in our life as we're followers of Christ, the word that really comes to mind is the word share. Like we are to share in the mission locally and also globally. Like it's our mission. It's not someone else's mission. Somebody else get it done. No, we're responsible for the person in the cubicle next to us. We're responsible for the the person that you eat lunch with on a daily basis at school. We're responsible to be ambassadors. That doesn't mean we're responsible to save. doesn't mean we're responsible to make them decide anything. But we are responsible for representing Jesus where he has us. And that's what a Jesus follower does. If you were to read the end of the scriptures you read in Revelations, you see uh, that there comes a day when there's this celebration. There's a celebration of people in heaven, all tribes, all tongues, all makeup, just, just everybody. People that were followers of Jesus. And that's going to be a pretty special day. And, and our lives should really be about that moment. Our lives should be on mission looking towards that moment when there's people from all over the world all ages, all times in history that bowed their knee to Jesus and are there and they're there for eternity. And the only thing that's going to matter at that point is who is with you. At that point, this is all gone. New heaven, new earth. The only thing that matters is who's there. Who's with you. Jesus will be with you. But will the person you work with be with you? Will your dad be with you? Will your person on your team be with you? Will the person you sit with at lunch be with you? Will your neighbor be there? And it's not your job to make them go, you know, accept Jesus. It's not your job to force them or manipulate them. It's your job to represent Jesus. And here's what happened. Here's what happened. When, when you look at Jesus' life, he, he didn't manipulate people. 
He didn't, he didn't uh, try to make them do something they didn't want to. Here's what he did. He loved them. He loved them. He cared for them. He modeled unselfishness. He, he, he tore down walls and he entered into their life. And when they saw that, they couldn't get enough of it and they wanted to follow. And so our job isn't to, to go to our neighbor and manipulate them into following Jesus. Our job is to represent Jesus and love people so much that there does come a time when they're like, yes, yes, I, that's what I want. And God, open up conversations so we can have those conversations, but they're not going to be had because I went over there with a, with a checklist and I asked him four questions from Romans and then, hey, everything changed. No, it's going to be I love them and it took a year and then we had a conversation and then I invited them over to my house and then they were going through a hard time and I visited them in the hospital and God opened up a conversation and they came to know Jesus. That's what it's about. And that's what Jesus modeled. And so as we, we close up kind of this first, this introduction really to what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, I want to ask you the same question that I asked you earlier. Before this morning, you kind of can cheat now because we've talked a little bit about it, but before this morning, what does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? How would you have answered that? Probably, like, like we've already talked about, you would have probably listed out things a person does or things a person knows, and, and you would have, you know, those aren't bad things. Like Jesus wasn't anti-good works and anti-like-know-the-Bible that just wasn't what defined a follower of Jesus. That's what came with after we followed Jesus. But what would you have said? You, you may have honestly walked away from the church at some point because of this question. Because it was defined in a way that wasn't how Jesus would have defined it. And you may have thrown in the towel with the church because you thought in order to follow Jesus... You had to keep a long list, and you had to know a lot more about the Bible than you do know, and so you just threw in the towel. And, and honestly, you probably threw in the towel with people that were just faking you out. They didn't really know that much about the Bible either, and they weren't keeping the list as good as they were making you think they were keeping the list. But you threw in the towel. And, and here's what I would invite you to do. I would invite you to lean in because doing and knowing a lot might make you a more faithful religious person, but it won't make you a more faithful follower of Jesus. And so I, I want to encourage you over this next few weeks to change your mindset. And instead of bringing Jesus kind of your star chart of all the things you did and all the stickers you have on your chart... Or bringing to him your, your big theology books and showing him, hey, here's all the stuff I know about you. Why don't you bring him your favorite Dutch Bros drink or maybe a cup of coffee? Because he just wants to sit down and have a relationship. And he's not really impressed that your star chart's more full than the guy next to you. And he doesn't really care that you know a lot about him. Because he already knows a lot about himself. He's not impressed that you know more than the next guy. But what he is interested in is a relationship. That's what his whole life was about. And so don't bring your star chart. Don't bring your theology. Bring a cup of coffee. Or bring, if you're not a coffee drinker, your favorite drink. 
Because he wants to have a conversation. He wants to have a relationship. And, and, and what's, what's awesome is when, when we enter into that type of relationship with Jesus, we get excited about the things that excited Jesus. And our relationship with him, our relationship with other followers of Jesus, and our relationship with the world expands because we're truly following Jesus and his example. And so I asked this question at the beginning too. I want you to, want you to answer it in your heart. Do you desire to faithfully follow Jesus? And, and don't worry if you say no, Jesus isn't worried. He's not like, oh, great. Thought they were on the team and now they're not. What are we going to do? No, be honest. He already knows if you're saying no in your heart, just tell him. Or, or he already knows that you're like, you know what, I really would, but I don't really know what it all looks like. Just tell him the truth because he already knows it. Do you really want to faithfully follow him? And, and are you willing to prayerfully lean into what Jesus might say to you over the next few weeks? Would you be willing to lean in if not for you, for your family? Because as you go, so goes the people that are closest to you in many ways. You affect them. And if you lean in, here's what will probably happen. You will probably have to change some of the ways you think. We may challenge some of the things you grew up being taught. And most likely, you'll have to change something at the end of this. It'll probably lead to a change. But here's what I can promise. You won't regret it in the long run. What you will regret for sure is spending your life only to find out you were focused on the wrong target the whole time. Promise. I promise you'll regret that. I promise at the end of life, if you realize what I've been focused on my whole life isn't even the right target, that's going to be a really sad day for you. And so let's lean in and let's investigate what does it really look like to follow Jesus? And let's ask Jesus to do something inside of us. One of the things we're, we're making available to you that actually the church in Las Vegas that we're doing this with is they actually have a devotional called The Life of a Jesus Follower. And uh, they're $10. That's exactly what we're paying. And so that's all we're charging is 10 bucks. Technically, I have to say it's a $10 donation is what I have to say. Uh, but $10. And if, you're, if you don't have a devotional, this might be a great thing for you to walk through over the series. Also, we're going to be uh, walking through this a little bit more in our, our city groups, and so we're going to talk more about this, but we'll have these at the next steps table. Mark will be back there. Uh, and so, our, like I said, our desire is that we just lean in and just see what Jesus does, whether we're 12 or whether we're 82. What would it look like if in a few weeks Jesus redefined for me what it looks like to follow him? What might that do? And that's what our desire is. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, just the example that you give us. I thank you for Hope Church, Lord, in Las Vegas. And uh, Lord, over the last 18 years, they've helped plant over 50 churches in the West. And Lord, we're thankful for churches like them that have a heart to plant other churches and just thankful for their investment in us. And Lord, I pray as we seek to lean into this idea of what does it really look like to be a follower of Jesus, I pray that, that you would help us maybe tear away some of the things that we have in our mind that aren't true and really lean in not to what feels good or what we hope to be true, but really lean into what 
your word has to say and your example showed us. And God, our desire is that at the end of this series that we are more faithful followers of you. Not because we're great people, but because you were and are a great God. God, help us to see clearly and help us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.